I'm so glad you're here. Um, how many of you have been excited about this, the Word of God series, the text series, the power of four that Pastor Chris has been doing? Man, it's just been a powerful thing, just encouraging. It's just encouraging the body of Christ to get into the Word of God, to read your Bible. I, I know that sounds simple, but it's just, just what this series is about. And um, he, he did week one, week two of that series, and then last week was Mother's Day. We kind of took a break from that, and he asked me to preach this morning. And he was going to be in Africa, but he's coming back to finish up the series. So he wanted to keep continuing, kind of keep it going. He asked me if I would speak on that subject. So I said, man, I'd be glad to. So I'm going to, I'm going to continue. This will be week three of that same series. I know it's a different speaker, but it's just going to be the same thing. We'll just continue that. Pastor Chris will come back and, and finish it, uh, just kind of finish it up and bring it all to a culmination when he gets back. Somebody say, right? All right. So, um, our scripture for the series, let me, let me do this before I read that. Um, every week we've been introducing a new reading plan, just encouraging you to get in the Word, so we're kind of giving you a reading plan. This is um, Version Bible app. If you don't have it, get it. Get the app. That's where we find these plans. And, um, so Version Bible app. The new one is going to be Strength in God, Abiding in Him. Just go to Version app, go to plans, go to search, type in Strength in God. It'll come up. There it is. Um, you know, Pastor Chris, he's so great, right? He's so, so kind and generous, and he's been giving you a week to do these five-day plans. You know? So you can miss a day or two, and you still feel like you accomplished it, right? So I had a plan that I was going to introduce to you, not this one, and um, I had it all ready. And when I realized, bef- right before I sent it to Pastor John as the plan for the week, I realized it was a 10-day plan. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I don't want to be the guy that gets, gets up and introduces a 10-day plan and says, now I'm giving you a 10-day plan. you got seven days to complete it, so double up. Let's go. Come on. So I went and found another one. This is a five-day plan. you got seven days to complete. All right? So our scripture reading for this series has been John 1 and 1. You're familiar with it by now, but I'll read it again. It simply states this. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God. God and His Word are one and the same. You cannot separate Him from His Word. Verse 2, the same was in the beginning with God. Jump down to verse 14 of John chapter 1, and it says this, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Watch the reading here. I love this. The Word the spoken word of God, he spoke it into existence. His word was made flesh. He simply spoke. Mary was impregnated by his voice, and Jesus was born. Wow. That's just proof right there, man, that the word of God is a creative word. It, it, is, it, is, it just makes things happen. It brings things into existence. The word was made flesh and dwelt among us. Objective for this series, we simply are encouraging you to read your Bible Every day. Why is that important? Um, just to recap from week number one, we found out this was important because you remember the, the, the stats that Pastor Chris showed, the power of four. These statistics showed just the transformation and things that take place in, the people's, in people's lives when they just read the Word of God four days a week. Imagine if those things happen when you read four days a week. What will happen when you begin to read your Bible Literally every day. That's seven days a week and 30 days a month. And yes, I'm going to say it, 365 days a year. If the statistics are that great with just four days a week, there is no telling what God will do in your life when you begin to engage in His Word every day. 
Week, no, week number two, quickly recap. Um, basically, the, the, the premise there was a Bible in your hand doesn't do you any good. You've got to get the Word in your heart. Say, in your heart. You've got to get the Word in your heart. You've got to engage in the Word of God. You have to begin to apply the Word of God to your everyday life. And when you do that, it begins to accomplish its purpose in you. Let me tell you this. I'm a, I'm a living proof of this. I know that it works. When you read the Word of God every day, it begins to mold you, and it begins to shape you, and it begins to make you into a shape and an image that you are not currently now, but is the image that God is wanting to create you to be. It is the image of Him who is the Word, which is Christ. And when you read His Word every day, you become like Him. It's the whole purpose. Deuteronomy 6, 6 and 7 in week number 2 was the, the scripture text that Pastor Chris really centered on. And it says this, and these words. Which words is he talking about? He says, these words which I command you today, these days shall be in your heart. Just, just driving home the point that the word of God is not intended to be in your hand. You, you, you tote your Bible all day long. It's not doing you. The Word of God is not a weapon that is used to beat your enemy over the head with. The Word of God is a weapon, but it is a weapon that is to be in your heart. And when it is in your heart, the Bible says out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So when you have the Word in your heart, when the enemy comes at you, you are prepared. You are ready to engage him with the Word that will come out of you. And you just begin to open your mouth and what is inside just kind of... Rah! like Yeah, like that just comes out at him, and the Word of God defeats him. It's not intended to be on your nightstand. Come on, somebody. The Word of God doesn't do you any good if it's on the coffee table. It really doesn't do you any good if you have the app on your phone either. You have to get it in your heart. And verse number 7 of Deuteronomy 6 says this, And thou shalt teach this word to your children. Shout. You ever seen that word before? It's a King James word. It's S-H-A-L-T. Shout. Thou shalt. It does not mean you should. It doesn't mean that you ought to. It's not a suggestion. It is literally a command. God is literally saying to the people of that time, He said, you will teach this to your children. And you will talk about it when you sit down in your house. And you will, you will talk about it when you walk by the way. And there's someone else. Would you just discuss this, man, and talk about it? And talk about it when you lie down at night in your bed. And talk about it when you rise up in the morning. Don't leave your house in the morning without the Word of God. Take it with you. So today, week three, um, that was a recap from week one and two. Week three, I want to center um, uh, on why reading your Bible every day is important from a little bit of different standpoint today, and it is from the standpoint of the battle and the war and the fight that we are engaged in. Like literally, um, the spiritual walk with God, being a follower of Christ, in the Bible, the believer, the follower of Christ, is referred to as a soldier in the army of God. We are literally engaged every day in a spiritual battle. It's not physical. You can't put your hands on your enemy. You can't defeat him with a literal, literal sword. Uh, but we are, we are engaged in a battle. In fact, in, in Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 12, it says this, For we wrestle... Not against flesh and blood. He's saying we do not fight and we do not war against flesh and blood. But there is a battle that's going on, but it is against principalities. 
and against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. These are the things that we battle against and that we fight against as a child of God every day of our life. So he has given us the description of the battle that we are engaged in. But what's so encouraging to me is that he does not step, stop there. Because not only does he describe the battle, but if you continue reading on in verse 13 through 17, he tells us how to win the battle. How many of you know you want to go into the battle, you want to know that you can win, right? You, no, come on now. Nobody wants to fight thinking you're going to be defeated. But, but he doesn't just describe the battle. He tells us how we can win. And you read verses 13 through 17 of Ephesians 6. And he simply says, and I'm going to paraphrase it, but he says it like this. Now that you know you are in this battle, now that you know there is a fight and there is a warfare, you need to equip yourself and you need to arm yourself for the battle. You need to prepare yourself for the fight. In fact, he says it this way, you need to put on your battle gear. He calls it the armor of God. You need to put on the armor of God so that you might be able to stand against your enemy. So he's literally saying if you do not have this armor, it's quite possible that you're going to be defeated in the battle. He says put on the whole armor of God. Somebody say whole armor. He wants you to wear the whole armor of God. And when you read, and I'm going to go through it here in just a second, but when you read about the armor of God, it literally consists of five pieces of armor and one weapon. He says this, put on the whole armor of God. First, girt your loins with truth. He's just saying, man, the truth is a belt. Wear it like a belt. And then he says, put on the breastplate of righteousness and have your feet. Now, you know, I've literally thought about this. What's the importance of, of having your feet covered as a soldier? Well, man, uh, what good is a soldier that, that, that his feet are not healthy? I mean, he's got to be able to stand. He's got to be able to run. He's got to be able to, to, to maneuver. So he says, cover your feet with the gospel of peace. And he says, don't forget, you need a shield. On this armor, there is a shield. Is it the shield of faith? What is faith? Faith is your belief system. Faith is, faith is what you stand on. Faith is your shield. It is what you trust in. Faith is the thing that shields you from the darts and the, and the, and the thrusts of the enemy. you got to be able to ward off the blows of the enemy so you have a shield of faith. And the last thing of the armor is the helmet of salvation. I don't have to, time to go into that and maybe another sermon another time, but he says take the helmet of salvation. So that is the five pieces of armor. And then he ends with this, don't forget the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you have all of this protective armor, and the only weapon that he provides, your spiritual weapon, is a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, I want you to take this. I tried to, I tried to make people laugh first service. They didn't get it, but you're going to get it. Okay? I want you to picture this soldier in your mind. I don't want to try to get in your mind because that's a scary place to live. Because you don't want to live in my mind. Believe me, that's a scary place to live. But in your mind, in your own mind, I want you to picture, I want you to picture this soldier. He's standing on the battlefield, and he's got all of the armor on. He's got a helmet of salvation. He's got the, the, his loins girded with, the, with a belt, and he's, and he's got a breastplate of righteousness. He's got the protection over his feet. And in his left arm, because I'm right-handed, left arm is shielded. 
in the right hand in just a moment. In his left hand, he's got a, got a shield. He's got all of this. And he's standing there with all of this armor, but he does not have his weapon. Picture that. Once you get this picture in your mind, now he has everything that he needs to defend himself against the enemy. All of the parts of the armor are for protection, to defend, to ward off, to, to block the blows from the enemy. He's got everything that he needs to stand against the enemy. But how many of you know that you cannot win the battle that way? I'm just going to say it. You're already thinking it, but I just want to make it plain. You cannot defeat your enemy with a shield. And you cannot defeat your enemy with a helmet. And you cannot defeat your enemy with a belt. Now, my dad defeated me a few times with a belt. But that's not going to defeat this enemy. You need a weapon. You need a sword. So he's got everything he needs. He's got the sword. He's got a shield. He's got the helmet. He's got the belt. He's got the shoe. He's got the breastplate. He's got all the defense, but he has no offense. Now, let me ask you a question. Football season is going to start in September. Hallelujah, Saints. Go Saints. If the referees would wake up, we'd... we'd, we'd would be something. would be good. So uh, now what would you do if, if the first game of the season, uh, Saints playing, and, and they come out, and every time that the other team kicks the ball to us, um, we just give it right back to them and say, now nah, we're not even going to dress out Drew Brees in the offense today. We're going we're gonna to beat you with defense. Yeah, you're right. You've seen our defense. <laughs> we, yeah, we score... 54 points a game and still lose. That, that tells you how good our defense is, right? But what if, what if that was the plan? What if that was the literal the battle plan for the Saints? It's like, man, we, we're just going to defeat them with defense. We don't need offense. Now, literally, they would, they would, you could still say they'd have a chance because in football you actually can't score on defense. But let's picture a baseball team, if you will, that just comes out for a game and they got their nine guys in the field they got the pop, and they got the pitcher and they got everything there, but, but they don't even bring their bats. There's no way to win without offense. And quite literally, what he's saying to us is, you've got to have the whole armor, but the armor is not complete if you don't have a weapon. And the only weapon that God has provided is a sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Quite literally, the Word of God is the only thing that defeats the devil, your enemy. It is the only thing... That when he comes at you with his attacks, you can ward off and you can, and you can defend and you can do that. But sooner or later, he's going to wear you down. The word of God is the only thing that stops him in his tracks. And you fight this battle every day. Quite literally, you are fighting this battle every day. So if you're fighting every day, then you need your weapon. Somebody say it with me. Every day. So when you are not equipped with the sword of the Spirit, what the enemy sees is a soldier with all of his defensive armor on, but he sees a weaponless soldier. I want you to screenshot that in your mind right now. This soldier standing on the battlefield with all of the gear, but without his weapon. 1 Samuel 16. I'm going to use this story to illustrate my point. It's a beautiful story. Um, actually, it's more than just 1 Samuel 16. It's actually chapter 16 through about 23. It's a long story. But I love this story. I, I love reading the Old Testament stories because, man, I find so many good things in there that just kind of relate to my, my walk with God and relate to the New Testament and tie in together. And, and so I'm encouraging you in this series of encouraging you to read the Word of God to read 1 Samuel 16 through 23. It's 
bunch of chapters, but hey, take your time, read through it, you'll love it. I love this story. So what it begins in chapter 16 is this. There's, there's a man by the name of Saul who is the king of God's people, the Israelites. Um, he's king, but, but, but God is displeased with him as king. And so God has a plan to anoint a new king because he's going to get rid of Saul. And so he sends a prophet by the name of Samuel to go down to Jesse's house. And he says, Samuel, will not you go down there and anoint one of Jesse's boys to be the next king over Israel? Now Samuel's going down there. He doesn't know which one of Jesse's boys. He had eight. It doesn't tell him which one. He just says one of them. There's another just beautiful, just kind of in that story, another story here of how, how Samuel gets down there and he tells Jesse, I'm here to anoint one of your boys to be the next king over Israel. And so bring them all out here and God's going to show me which one it is. And, and man, this is so beautiful. Here it is. His Jesse brings out all of his boys. He doesn't even think about David. David's just the little runt. That's what, that was me. David, was the, he, was the, he was the last born. He was just the run of the litter. He was just a little ruddy guy. He was just peach-faced and pretty and all this stuff. And, and he didn't look like much. So he didn't even think about him. And so Samuel goes through all of Jesse's boys. And he's, yep, nope, not this one. No, not this one. And he gets through all of seven. And he says, man, it's none of these. What's wrong? And, um, and, and Jesse says, well, there's one more. So they bring David in. And, and, and literally God shows Samuel this is the one. And, and so Samuel anoints him that day. Uh, to, be, to be the next king over Israel because he's displeased with, with King Saul. And so David is anointed, but watch this. He's just anointed, but he has no position yet. And he returns to the field and just to do what he was doing before, which is keeping his father's sheep. And so in chapter 17, David's on the, he's anointed now to be king, but he's back in the field and he's watching his dad's sheep and his father sends for him and says, man, your brothers are in the battlefield and, and they're fighting against the Philistines. And, and he said, I want you to go down to the battlefield and, and see how they're doing and, and bring them some cheese and some bread. And so he, he sends David down there to check on his brothers. And here's what David walks into when he gets over there. The two armies are engaged in battle, kind of, sort of. Uh, Israelites are just, just scared to death in their tents. They won't even go out and fight because there's this big guy by the name of Goliath that is challenging everybody, and nobody is going to fight him. They're all scared, and David walks in. And he's this, this, this little young punk, you know. He walks in, and he says, I'll fight the guy. And I love this story. This is beautiful. And it's just like the smallest guy in the bunch with just a sling. And a rock defeats the one that had a whole army just shaking in their shoes. And so when David defeated Goliath, it ends the war between the, Phil the Israelites and the Philistines. And it, it makes Israel victorious over them. So King Saul, who is still king, is now the battle is over and he is victorious. And so now he's riding back to the palace. And so on the way to the palace with all of his army behind him, he's riding through all of the cities on his way there. He just parades through with his army. He's riding through as the victorious king over the Philistines. And so he goes through each city. And he, when he comes into the gates of each city, the people are lined up along the street as he comes through as the victorious conquering king. And they, as he comes through, they're lined up there and the women are singing songs about him. That's every guy's dream. So he's a victorious, conquering king. He's coming through the city and watch this. And so they're singing a song. And here's what it sounds like. Saul has killed his thousands. And man, his chest pokes out. Yeah, buddy. But the second verse. But David has killed his ten thousands. And just deflates his little balloon. His chest goes back down. And this infuriates him. It infuriates Saul, who is still the king. And he vows that day to kill David. 
They're not, I'm not going to have the people singing songs about some other guy. Sideboard. David is the one that defeated Goliath. The only reason you're, you're, you're victorious as the conquering king is because he did the work. You didn't do anything. So, yeah. And so he's, he so he's the vows to kill David. Now, Jonathan is Saul's son. And the Bible says that he and David had this great relationship. Jonathan literally, the Bible says he loved David. This is interesting, too. Like Saul is king, so Jonathan is probably one of the heirs to the throne. But God has known it. David, who is not even of the house of Saul, and he's bypassing Jonathan. So Jonathan should hate David, but he literally loves him. It's a beautiful story of humility and just saying, God, whatever your will is, I'll accept it. So, so that's something else I could preach at another time. Jonathan loves Saul, and he warns David. He says, my, my father's going to kill you. He's out to get you. And he actually helps David escape from the grasp of Saul. And so now the picture is David learns from Jonathan that Saul is after him and he's running for his life. He leaves from where he is. They make this plan. That's in the story. You'll read it. It's beautiful how they devise this plan. Where, so, so David leaves. He, just, he leaves in such haste. He takes no food. He takes no weapon. He just runs for his life. And he's on the run and he comes to a place called Nob, N-O-B. And in this place is a priest by the name of Ahimelech. Yeah, I know. And, and David gets to Ahimelech's house, and he gets there. Watch this. I want you to picture this. He gets there. He's starving. I love that the, the, um, the, the, the reading plan that you gave us for last week in, in day number three talks about this very story, David on the run for his life, and it literally said he was starving to death. And, and I had already, this was already, I, this message has been planned for weeks. Isn't that wonderful how the Spirit just kind of works that out? You read about it, now I'm talking about it. It's just the Spirit doing its work. And so David's running for his life. He gets to Elimelech's house. He's starving to death. He's hungry. He has no food, and he's weaponless. And he stumbles in there, and he gets there, and he asks this priest. He said, man, is there any bread? I'm hungry. I have no food. Beautiful story there about the bread that he gives him. It's bread that he's not even supposed to eat. You need to read it. And so he gives him bread and he eats. And now he's feeling better. He's nourished. And he says, Ahimelech, not only do I need bread, but I'm weaponless. Is there any weapon in this house? Is there a spear or is there a sword? And Ahimelech literally says, there is one weapon in this whole compound. One weapon. In fact, he said, if I could find it, it's wrapped in an old linen, and it's behind somewhere, the ephod back there, and maybe I could find it. So Ahimelech goes back there, and he finds, wrapped in this old linen, he finds this, he finds this sword, and, and, and he pulls it out from the old cloth, and he throws the cloth aside, and he hands the sword to David, and he says, this is the sword that you defeated Goliath with all those months ago. David says, I'll take that. That's a good sword. Watch this. Watch this. It doesn't matter how long your sword, your weapon, has been sitting idle by your bedside. It's still as powerful as the last time you picked it up. Pick up the Word of God and begin to read it. It will work in your life. It has not lost its power. So, Ahimelech, man, that's a hard word to say. That dude, <laughs> that priest, he gives... He gives David Saul's sword. You want to know a beautiful, another story that you could you can do? I challenge you, trace this. The last time David saw this sword, he defeated Goliath on the battlefield with just, a, with just a sling and a stone. But he runs over to him once he hits the ground. He takes Goliath's sword out, chops his head off, man. Takes, and then that sword, the Bible says he put that sword in his tent. 
Now, all of these weeks and months or years later, I don't know the time frame here. David's on the run for his life. He's starving and he's weak and he's weaponless. And he gets to Ahimelech's house and he asks for a weapon. And the weapon that's there is the sword that the last time we saw it was in his tent. And so you tell me how that sword got from David's tent to Ahimelech's house. It's just proof that God will never leave you hanging. He has what you need where you need it when you need it. And how it gets there is not of your concern. That's God's problem. He'll make it happen. Yeah. Man, there's no, the time clock really doesn't matter to, right now. You, you're in trouble. <laughs> yeah. So watch this. So, so Ahimelech gives David this, this sword. But in this exchange, at Ahimelech's house is one of Saul's servants. Remember Saul, the king that is out to kill David. And he hears the exchange between David and Ahimelech. And he sees when Ahimelech gives David bread. And he saw when he handed him a sword. And so he's Saul's servant. So the little tattletale runs back to Saul. And he says, I know where David is. I saw him at Ahimelech's house in Nob. And he was there. And when he got there, he was starving to death. He was hungry. And he did not have a weapon. And I saw Ahimelech give him bread. And I saw him give him a sword. And this excites Saul because the thought of him, of his his enemy, his sworn enemy, weaponless, excites him. But when he hears the story from his servant saying Ahimelech has given him food and he's given him a sword, it makes him even angrier because, because he knew that he had David on the run. He knew that he had him vulnerable and weak and weaponless and he was going to kill him. He was going to be an easy target because he did not even have a sword. And so, it, man, this is great. And so Saul says uh, to the to servant, he said, I want you to go back to Ahimelech's house and tell him to come here. i got some questions for him. And so in your mind, he's saying he wants to talk to Ahimelech. So what does he want to know? I know what he wants to know. He wants to know where David is because he's going to kill him. And so he brings Ahimelech over there, and he does not ask him, where is David? He doesn't ask him, which way did he go the last time when he left your house? Did he go north, south, east, west, which way? I'm after him. I want to know where he is. He He doesn't ask him, is he alone or does he have an army with him? He doesn't ask him any of that. His question to um, Ahimelech is, why in the world would you give him a sword? I had him weak, malnourished, vulnerable, on the run, and weaponless, but now he's dangerous because you have armed him with a weapon. This is just interesting. It's just interesting, so I'm going to throw it out there. It's interesting to me that the two things that David was in need of when he got to Nob are the two very things that the Bible says the word is to Christians. He needed food. The Bible says that this word is our bread of life. And he needed a weapon. And the Bible says that this word is the sword of the Spirit. David needed that day the very same thing that we need every day. We need sustenance and we need food for our spiritual man. We feed the natural man every day, several times a day. But our spirit man becomes weak because we don't nourish him. We don't feed him the bread of life. And we're vulnerable because we don't pick up our weapon every day. Did I I say this yet? Or maybe, let me just tell you right now. It's not enough for you to come here on Sundays and let us hand you the weapon, the word of God. And then you you, you take it and you just, just, man, you just hold it in the air and you shout, I've got the word. And And then you say, Sit it down on your, on your seat where you sit every Sunday and you leave 
so that you can come back next Sunday and pick it up again and wave it in the face of your enemy saying, look, I've got my... I don't know if you noticed this or not, but, but the enemy doesn't attack you when you're here. He's not going to bother you when you're here, when the, when the music's just right, man, and the lights are low, and, and John is shredding on that guitar. Come on, somebody. Right? I mean, everything's good. The worship is great. The songs are good. The message is wonderful. And you're encouraged and you're strengthened and you're, and you're just full of the Word of God. But listen, you don't need your weapon until you get on the battlefield. And this is not the battlefield. But when you get out there on Monday, all right now, that's where you need your weapon. You need it on Monday. You need it Monday through Saturday. Come on now. You need your weapon when you get up Monday and the alarm goes off and you hit the snooze because you're... Right, stay with me here. And you hit the snooze four times. That's what I does. And my snooze is nine minutes every time. So I know by the time I get up, I'm 27 minutes late. But I'm smarter than a fifth grader. I set my alarm 30 minutes earlier than I have to get up because I know that I'm going to snooze four times. So I'm literally three minutes in the ahead of time. That's just enough time to eat breakfast. But watch this. When you get up on Monday and you snooze and you're late, and so you rush through, through the house and you throw your clothes on and you brush your hair and you brush your teeth and you eat something quickly and you leave, you're vulnerable. Because you haven't taken time to equip yourself, to nourish your spirit man, and to pick up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. You need your weapon. Here's my last point. It doesn't mean I'm finished. It just means we're on the home stretch. It's a long home stretch. And there won't be any interference here like there was in the derby. Uh, <laughs> so watch this. Here's my last point. Find this, this is another verse. It's found in 1 Peter 5 and 8. Watch this. 1 Peter 5 and 8 says this. Be sober. Be vigilant. Vigilant. You know what that word means? He's simply saying be ready. Be ready. Be prepared. Be full. Full of what? Nourished. Having eaten something. I said this in the first two services. I don't think anybody got it, but I got faith that somebody's going to have heard this in your lifetime. You've heard the old saying, you can't work a hungry mule. You can't fight. You can't send a soldier to the battlefield hungry and malnourished and weak. You've got to feed him. So what he's saying is, be prepared. Be full, be nourished, have eaten something, be equipped, and be armed. And the flip side of what he's saying is this. He's simply saying, do not walk around unprepared. Do not enter the battlefield weak, hungry, vulnerable, and weaponless. Don't do it. Be ready. Watch this. Here's why. Because. Now watch this. He's telling you to be ready. Now he's going to tell you why you need to be ready. Because your adversary. And I love that he names him. Your adversary, the devil. I love that he identifies him for us. Because Watch, I'm not your enemy. Okay? Pastor Chris, he's not your enemy. This guy here, he's not your enemy. He's not your adversary. The church across town, he's not your adversary. 
We all have an adversary in the spirit, and it is the devil. And he has a plan for you, but God's got a plan, and his plan is exactly opposite from God. God wants to, God wants to promote you, but he wants to destroy you. This is the battle that we face every day. The devil's job every day is to defeat you, to destroy you, quite simply to kill you spiritually. Watch this. Be ready because your adversary, the devil, he identifies him as a roaring lion, is walking about looking for somebody that he can take down. I love that he had compares our enemy to a lion. Because have you watched those, those, those shows about, you know, um, used to be Wild Kingdom. I don't know what it is now. Planet, uh, you, I don't know, uh, Animal Planet or one of the, you, you know where it is. Where they, and out there and they show, they show the herd of, of wildebeest and the little antelope and, the deer, and then here comes the lion and man, he, and they always, they always cut it off right before he makes the kill. And I'm just like, come on, man, I want to I I see you take him down. This is a little weak, vulnerable animal. And the lion is the strongest of all the beasts. He is, he's a killer by nature. He, is, he, 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 he hunts his own food every day. He takes it down, and, he, and that's the way God designed him. But watch this. He's the strongest of all the beasts, but still, it comes up on these little, this little big herd of, of wildebeest. He will soak around on the side looking for the weakest, the slowest, and even the wounded ones. Because what he's looking for is the easiest target. He doesn't want to exert any more energy. A lion's lazy. He doesn't want to put out any more effort than he has to, but he still wants to eat. So he's going to take the slowest, the weakest, the most vulnerable one, and that's the one that he's going to, going to kill. And the Bible compares your adversary to this lion. Quite literally, he is looking for the weak, hungry, vulnerable, and the weaponless. But let me give you encouragement today. Listen to me when I say this. He can not. He can not defeat you if you're nourished and if you're packing. Just, just let me do this. I just wanted to do this. Yeah, yeah, okay, I'm done. Uh, I feel better. If you're armed with a sword, the Word of God, this weapon is proven. It works. It works every time. It's the only thing that defeats the enemy. In fact, Jesus showed us in Matthew 4 that it worked. Jesus was at the lowest point in his, in his life. He had literally been in the wilderness 40 days without food. Just water. 40 days. And it's at the end of the 40-day fast that the enemy came at him and tempted him. And in the middle of the lowest point of his life, physically. Huh? How many of you know you can be low and weak physically, but you can be strong in the Lord? In the power of His might. As long as you're equipped with the Word of God, it doesn't matter what physically is going on around you. Spiritually, you can, be, you can be strong. And Jesus is at the weakest point in his life physically. And the devil comes at him and he literally defeats him with the only weapon that he had. He says, nah, 
you can't do that. It is written. And he begins to quote the word of God to the devil. And it's the only thing that defeated him. So he used the only weapon that he had. Can I just throw this in? It's the same weapon that we have. And it defeated the devil that day, the enemy, and it will defeat him in your life. If you are equipped and ready, if you are armed with the word of God, if you're full and you're armed, you can be weak in the natural, but your spirit man can be full and armed to the teeth. Just got to take your weapon every day. I, I love the story of 1 Samuel that I was talking about earlier. Uh, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible, but I'm going to tell you another story that I love even more. And uh, the reason I love this story more than 1 Samuel is because this is my story. And, man, I've literally seen God do some powerful things in my life. Some of you don't know who I am, but just a little history. See, I was, I was raised in a pastor's home, and... Uh, that's all I know. From the time I was born, my dad was a pastor, preacher. I was raised in a, actually a UPC pastor's home, which is UPCI, United Pentecostal Church Inter- International. Um, raised in that home and married a good old Southern Baptist girl. I don't know if you know this, but that upset the apple cart. Yeah. It uh, threw us... Uh, monkey wrench in the spokes of that you know and so um, I was called to the ministry at the age of 25 I'm 49 now been in ministry for about 24 years I was called to ministry at the age of 25 within that first year of, of being called to ministry I was the pastor of a church this doesn't mean anything what I'm about to say here but did you know that pastoring is not a word like my words check would not even re- so I could not say I was pastoring a church that's not even a word I was the pastor of a church I'm just English lesson lesson so 25 years old I'm the pastor of a church probably was a little too young to be doing that wasn't, wasn't the greatest of decisions that I've ever made but it was something I felt like I needed to do at the time. There's circumstances around it that I could explain. I won't. I did that for two years, and it felt like God was, was calling us to somewhere else. We left there, and we came to another church, a church here in this town. I became the youth pastor, assistant pastor, worship leader. Did that for 14 years, that church, while working a full-time job in the process. And this is another sermon for another time, but man, I, I reached a place of burnout. And my wife and I both, we, we, just, we, had, we had given so much of ourselves for 14 years, but it was literally spiritually there was, and physically there was nothing, there was nothing left. We were, we were just rock bottom. And the events that unfolded caused us, after 14 years to leave that church, were a long story short, I was at a staff meeting on a Monday night and um, some things transpired in that staff meeting that I was told later were, were said, but I never heard anyways. Uh, from that Monday night to a Friday night of the same week, a phone conversation, I was literally stripped of, of everything that I had. All of my positions were gone. 
I was just literally gone from, from all of that. And, and everything that I identified with my ministry was gone. And I, 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 was, I was quite literally, suddenly I was churchless. I had no place to go to church. It was my church. I was, man, and I, I'm not exaggerating here, I was literally friendless. I used to, I used to travel all around the state of Louisiana, pastor friends all over this state, and even in Texas and some surrounding states, and preaching, singing, doing things. And from that day forward, things were said about me that were not true, and they simply, every one of them except one pastor friend that, that I know, I'm still, still in touch with him today, in contact with him today, because he was the only friend that, 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 that stuck with me through all of this. Every one of them, all of the other ones dropped me like a, like a bad habit. I literally have not heard from just this one pastor, literally dozens and dozens of preachers and pastor friends that I knew and were connected with. Just, just suddenly it was gone. But when preachers and pastors and religion turned their back on me, the only thing that I had to stand on, literally the only thing that I had left, was the Word of God. I knew who I was. I knew what I had done and had not done, regardless of what they were saying. I knew what I had not done. And when friends left me and preachers and pastors and organizations, the Word of God never let me down. It was quite literally the only thing that I had left to stand on, but when it was the only thing I had left, it was the only thing that never, that never failed me. I literally, man, I, the lowest point in my life, physically and spiritually, I'll be honest with you, but the lowest point in my life, I, I remember one day in my, my truck, I was, I was at work, I was, man, I was just beat down, I was crying like a big old baby, feeling sorry for myself. And I called one of my preacher friends who I thought was my friend and just told him what I was going through. And he, he had heard of the situation. He literally just attacked me on the phone. Told me everything was my fault. I hung up the phone that day. I felt worse than when I called him. But he was a friend. I was reaching out. I was just needing somebody. To... I have literally run into preacher friends of, friends of mine since then in restaurants. Just about a year ago, I ran into one in a restaurant in Crowley. In the course of the conversation, he proceeded to tell me that, you know, because of the decisions you made, your children, your grandchildren are going to be lost. They're going to go to hell. They're never going to be saved because they're never going to hear the truth. That didn't make sense to me because all that religious nonsense that he was spouting, when I got back to my home and opened my Bible, I read something different. And I'm just here to encourage you that when all you have is the Word of God, it's all you need. And listen to me when I tell you, when you read something in your Bible, and when the circ even the circumstances around you say something different, don't believe the circumstances. Just stand on the Word. I remember the lowest point of my life. Man, you got, 
some more homework. Go home and read Deuteronomy chapter 28. I know it's an Old Testament chapter, but man, some powerful stuff in there. It's promises from God of what he will do for you and with you if you will stand, if you will live for him, and if you will do right and serve him. It's a beautiful promise. And I would read in Deuteronomy 28 and 13 where the word of God would promise me that God would tell me in that word, I will make you the head and not the tail. But at the whole time, I didn't just feel like the tail, man. I felt like the very end of the tip of the tail. But the Bible was telling me I was the head and not the tail. And even though I felt like the tail, I would stand on that word and say, God, you're telling me I'm the head. I will believe it. Man, this is... When all of that transpired, it's been about seven, eight years ago. It was on February, Super Bowl Sunday, February 4th. One month before that, my wife and I were at a preacher's conference for preachers and wives only. It was a powerful conference, and God is moving in this service. And somebody that I did not know then, I do not know to this day, walks up to me in the service, walks up to my wife and I, and begins to minister to us, prophesy to us. And this is what he said to me in that time. He said, this is the year of greatness. God, I don't even know you. He said, I was across the room and God singled you out to me. And I just wanted to come over here and tell you that God told me to tell you this is the year for greatness. What you've been fighting and struggling against is all going to turn around. This is the year of greatness for you and your ministry. And just went on and on and on of greatness, year of greatness, year of greatness. One month later, I was stripped of everything I had. And I remember reminding God telling you said this was the be the year of greatness and I have nothing left this doesn't look like greatness that word said God you said this was a great year and though it looks terrible if you said this is gonna be the greatest year of my life though I feel defeated I'm just gonna count it up as a victory because quite obviously this is your plan and I just stood there and I never wavered from the Word of God and I'm going to tell you this, the lowest point of my life, the reason the enemy could not defeat me is because I never set down my weapon. I never let go of the Word of God. I simply stood on the only thing I had. Romans 3, 4, man, this, I'm over. Romans 3 and 4 says this, let God, we've already established that you can't separate God from His Word, so we could literally insert here, let God's Word be true but every man a liar. What's that saying? That God's word be true. What that saying is his word is truth in the world of untruth. When everything you see around you, man, it doesn't matter what somebody tells you, you're looking for that fine print. You're looking for the underlying, the half truth. In a world full of that, the word of God is truth. It's always true. And watch the second point. Let, let God's word be true and every man a liar. I have determined in the last seven years, I, I can't, this was one of my scriptures that I would go back to, and I said this to God. I said, listen, if every, I don't, preacher, pastor, religion, don't, if every one of them in the world is saying this and your word says this, I'm going to stand here. They're lying. Because you would never lie to me. You would never lead me astray. So if the word, if you, man, in this, this series where we're encouraging you just to get in your Bible and read the word of God, we can literally say that because I, I can promise you, anything that you read there, stand, you can stand on it. It's truth. 
And when everything around you, even your circumstances, is say, are saying something different than what the Word of God is saying, it's always true. Stand there, man. Just bow your heads with me. Father, just thank you again. Literally for the third time today, your presence has been so real at this point in the this, in this service. I know that you're working in ways that I cannot see. And just trust, God, that your spirit is doing a mighty work right now. I want to offer you an opportunity before we leave. If you don't know God as your Savior, you don't know Jesus as your Savior, but you want to. You say, Preacher, I don't know if I want to do that. You just told me when I do that, I'm going to be thrust into a battlefield of warfare. Yeah, you're right. But I also told you that you had the weapon that would defeat your enemy. So if you do not know him, but you want to make him your Savior today, I want to give you an opportunity.